heard of uh, Carrie Scrub. I remember that name. Olympics. She is neither related to Bob Dylan nor Darth Vader. 1996, actually the year that my wife and I were married. 21 years ago. Let me just play the video. She sets the stage for us this morning. I'm Terry Strug, and this is my gold medal moment. My favorite Olympic moment was when I saw Terry Strug at the 1996 Atlantic Games. And Terry Strug land the ball on one, one ankle and, and win the gold for the U.S. Well, I can't imagine how much that hurt and how much like, how scared she was to land on the final ball routine. I was there. In fact, I was sitting right here. What a hero. I'm very proud of that moment. Going into Atlanta, we knew that we had a strong chance of winning gold. And we went strongly with, with, with event after event performing well. She usually sticks it. And I had a great, a great feel that we are really, really anchored the world at this time for the first time in the history of, of American United. I just heard this oh by the crowd and looked up and saw on the huge screen that Dominique had fallen on her first ball. I was kind of taken aback because those girls maybe will have a little wobble or a hop or a step. They usually don't fall. Oh, end of the week. We still have the second ball. I just was flabbergasted when she felt yet again. That one, we really, we really went into the stage of not knowing at all where we are at that time. So, but we still had the best water of the of the team, Kerry Strong, coming up. So Kerry Strong, it is up to her. My other teammates had done their job, and I knew I had two chances of this needed to make one ball. And when I got up, my left ankle felt a little strained. This, this is scary. Whatever is in my ankle um, is just going to go away. It has to. This is the Olympics. She's coming back now. She's, she's leaving and she's coming back. When I got to the end of the vault runway, I looked at Bella. And um, everybody knows these famous, you know, Words that affirmation he gave me, Carrie, you can do it, you can do it. I let me tell you, I had nothing left to do with my mother. I think it's it's kind of strange that the best gymnastic coach in the world, that's all he came up with, or right before the most critical moment in US women's gymnastics um, history at the Olympic Games. But it also makes a lot of sense because in workouts, Bella is always like, it can be faster, it can be higher, stronger, that's no good, what are you thinking? And so in a competition when he's really excited and being positive and he's motivating you and telling you how great you are, you're like, yeah, you're right, I can do this and I will do this. Really was just focused on the technique of the vault, the twisting to be tight, when I landed, the rest of that to blur. Very strong is hurt. 
say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we pray? God, if we could just believe, if we could just believe what you said, we would be unstoppable. Would you help us by the power of your spirit today to believe what your word says? That's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We're just going to start right in here at verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Work our way through verse by verse, as is our custom. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, before we do jump into this particular verse, let me try to run through quickly what we've seen over the last few weeks, which leads up to this crescendo today. I'm just going to run through it. 
Verse 28 told us that God is causing all things to work together for our good. We love God and are called according to His purposes. Verses 29 and 30 told us that God set His love on us before the foundation of the world through foreknowledge. And He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ and called us and justified us and glorified us. Verse 31 said that God is for us, so no one can ultimately be against us. Verse 32 reminded us that God didn't spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. And since that is true, he will also graciously, with him, give us all things. Verse 34 asks, who is there to condemn us as God's elect, since it is God who justifies us? And verse 35 says, no one can condemn us since Jesus died for us, was raised, and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Amen. It is breathtaking. It is stunning. It is overwhelming. And this little finite mind, man, I just struggle with it. I wrestle with what does this really mean? What I think it means. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of truth. It's a lot of power. It's a lot of glory. So we're going to try to wrap it all up, tie it all together in this final shout of victory this final proclamation and exclamation of praise, and I have purposefully woven it into everything that we've done this morning. Because I want you to hear it again, and again, and again, because I believe if we hear it enough, we just might start believing it. If we start believing it. Who knows? Who knows? So after seeing all this that we've just seen, Paul then asks... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, the word for separate is, are you ready for this? Now, this speaks to my heart, okay? It's Teresa. <laughs> I love Teresa. Amen. Mexican sausage is the bomb, y'all. So who shall separate us? Who shall Teresa us? That's actually how it's transliterated into the English, but it's pronounced in the Greek chorizo, not chorizo. So I kind of got excited when I'm doing my statement of chorizo. But I just want to share that with you guys that uh, that's what that means. It has really nothing to do with that. <laughs> actually, it means to separate, to divide, to part, to put asunder, to divorce, to go away. So who shall after hearing all that we've heard leading up to this question, what do you think the answer to that question is? Who shall separate us? Who shall divorce us from Christ? Who shall put us asunder from Christ? What have been the answers to the other questions? Who's there to condemn? Nobody. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. And what we've said through all these things, it's not that these things won't be thrown at us, it's not that they won't happen, it's that they ultimately will not succeed. They will fail in their efforts to condemn us, to bring a charge against us. So who shall separate us successfully from the love of Christ? What's the answer? No. No one. And we'll see why. We'll, we'll see the affirmation of that in just a minute. But I want you to think about it. Who shall separate us from what? What's the question? 
from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And something that we've got to get a hold of at the front end here is when we're talking about the love of Christ, we're not talking about an emotional feeling that Jesus has for us. We're not talking about Jesus sitting there going, Aw, just love those folks. Aw, Jason. I love it when he wears his foot in pajamas. I do have foot in pajamas. They're not frogs. That's something we're looking into. So, what we're not talking about is this mandy-pandy, milk-toast affection that Jesus feels for somebody. It's the literal life and power of Christ poured out for us, given to us, and to be lived out through us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the love of Christ. And who shall separate us from that love of Christ? The answer is no one. They cannot separate us. No one, no one, what about myself? No one can separate us from the love of Christ. Nobody can make Jesus stop loving us. Get a hold of that. Breathe that in. Who can? Nobody. But now, look where the Spirit moves Paul to write from there. He just asked, who can? And we said, nobody. But then he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, then they people. <laughs> right? right? So nobody can. Okay, then what about these other things? What about this other stuff? These are circumstances. They're problems. They're issues. They're things that happen. So to frame it afresh, nobody can. And no thing, no circumstance can separate us from the love of Christ either. Amen. And these things and circumstances listed here are pretty severe. So not even the worst things or circumstances can separate us from Jesus' love. Now does he say that these things will not come into our lives? No. He does not say that they won't come into our lives. He's just saying that they will not separate us. They will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's later. Actually, it's just the love of Christ here. Tribulation can't. Tribulation is defined as a pressing. A pressing together. Pressure. It's pressure being exerted from the outside. What about distress? Distress is defined as being put in a narrow place. Anybody like that? You ever been on a, a, a bus or a subway or something and you're pressed in like this and you're holding on and everybody stinks? <laughs> oh my this next stop's my stop. It's actually 12 blocks away, but I gotta get out of here. And that's distress. But to be put into a narrow place. You ever feel that way? Persecution is defined as. Persecution. It's when someone or something purposefully mistreats you for belief or a stance or a position. Can being persecuted separate you from Jesus' love? No. Famine? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the crops ain't growing. I'm talking about not having food. 
If you get to the position in your life where you don't have your next meal, you don't have tomorrow's food, you don't have the week's food, a lot of times we'll get to the cabinet and say, man, we ain't got no food. That's not true. There's all kinds of food in there. But what if you did not have food? Can that separate you from the love of Christ? Cannot. Will not. Shall not. Does it say that it won't come? It does not. Nakedness, again, this is not just being without clothes, but not having clothes to cover your body. Anybody ever been that stinking poor? What happens if you do get that stinking poor? Can that separate you from the love of Christ? It sure would feel like it, wouldn't it? I've got no clothes, got no food, but i got Jesus' love to keep me in love. It's not much fun to make it out. Danger can't separate you from Jesus' love. A sword? What about a sword that's designed to take your head off? Like it would at the end of Paul's life. Can that sword separate us from Jesus' love? And I will see later that death can't separate you. Do you get it? In the midst, in the midst, in the midst of the worst situations, the worst conditions, the lowest points of human existence, when we are at our worst, having our hardest times, Jesus' love will be there. Jesus' love will be constant. The God love that was set on us before the foundation of the world will never, can never, be taken from us or separated from us. No one, nothing, not even the worst of things can separate us from the love of Christ. No one. Nothing. Do you get that? Maybe you're in the middle of a situation right now and you are wondering, God, do you even care? God, if you cared, I would not be in this position. God, if you cared, you would do something right now. You know what God says? He says, I'm doing something right now. I'm loving you passionately. And I will never stop. There's a whole lot more of this. We'll get to that. The Holy Spirit through Paul is working to reassure us that once Jesus sets his love on us, it will always be there. He will always be there and will never leave us nor forsake us. His love will be there to sustain us and carry us through no matter how hard or how bad it gets. And again, I want to reemphasize, he doesn't say these things won't happen when Jesus loves us. He says that in the midst of them, in the hardest of the heart, Jesus' perfect love is firmly and unwaveringly set on us. The Christian life is marked by suffering and persecution, and even famine and nakedness. But it is also marked by the security of Jesus' love in the midst of even these awful things. Verse 36. Maybe it gets better. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Okay. 
So Paul's given an example of what all this hardship looks like in a Christian's life by referring to a passage from the Old Testament. He pulled it from Psalm 44, 22. How dangerous, how hard, how perilous is the Christian life? Well, being a Christian is like being a sheep led to slaughter. For your sake, God, we are what? Being killed all the day long. We are regarded, looked at as dumb, stupid sheep being led off to be not just killed, but slaughtered. Your best life now. <laughs> Maybe not. But, even in that, even in the face of death itself, Jesus' love is with us, for us, and inseparable from us. And that makes it bearable, doable, <coughs> purposeful, sorry about that, being led as a sheep to the slaughter is purposeful. What did Don read from Isaiah at the beginning of the service? Was there a purpose in Jesus being led as a lamb to the slaughter? The highest purpose God ever had for us was fulfilled as a sheep was led to slaughter and didn't open his mouth. Is there a reason, is there a purpose in this suffering? And this hardship, in the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sword, the unrest, the hard, the difficult, the unclear. Is there a purpose in it? Yes. Remember, God is causing all things, all things to work together for our good. Now, do we believe this? Do we understand this? Now, none of this is said in an effort to minimize whatever it is that you might be going through right now or have went through in the past or will go through in the future. What I'm not saying is, oh, just get over your problems. Jesus loves you. You shouldn't let troubles mess you up like that. That's not what I'm saying. And that's never what I would say. Being killed all day long is bad. It's hard. It's wrong. No doubt about it. Losing a job, a spouse, a limb, losing your sanity. All these things are hard and they're bad. But what I am saying is that in the midst of all these things, in the worst of them, we know that these things are not uncommon to us. Especially if we are followers of Jesus. And in the midst of the battle, in the midst of being led away as a sheep to slaughter, Jesus, who was literally said to have done what? Let me look at a passage that tells us what happened. 1 Peter 2, 19-25. If you've got Bibles, turn there. Our flipper may not be very consistent this morning up here. I'm going to read verses 19-25 of 1 Peter 2. Thinking about Jesus, the sheep of the slaughter. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But... If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Stop. Suffering, endurance, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow. He didn't revile others when they reviled him. He didn't threaten when he suffered. But what did he do? Verse 23 said he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's what we're supposed to do when we suffer. Whether the suffering is just or unjust. And that's the point. When you suffer, when you are in the midst of the struggle, when you are in the midst of the battle, a crucible, entrust yourself to him. Peter would say it another way. In 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's it. That's the bottom line. Entrust yourself to him. Cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares. Because he loves you in a way that you cannot be separated from. Find your strength and your courage in the midst of being led as a sheep to the slaughter in that life. Verse 37 of Romans 8. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I want to read in context. I'm going to read verses 35 through 37 to get to 37. I'm called it view. You've got to have that to get the full effect. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <laughs> What a no. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, being killed all the day long, being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No! The word home here is what is called a logical, contrastive conjunction. That means that what we are about to see that follows it is being logically contrasted to what came before it. Let me give you an example. Have I ever seen the website or the books, Eat This, Not That? I hate that thing. <laughs> It'll say something like, you know, you like this bad food, don't eat that, eat this good food. So you like Pizza Hut pan pizza with all the meats. They would say, don't eat that, but eat some weird non-gluten mess with no sauce and no cheese with bean sprouts sprinkled in it. Um, no, thank you. That's a logical contrastive fail in my mind. It's a contrast, but it sure ain't logical. Um, I like to move a little bit, but this passage has taken us through things as bad as they can be. Nakedness. Famine, 
sword, death, slaughter. So what would be the logical contrast to that? If we've seen things as bad as they can be, what's the logical contrast to that? Things as good as they can be, nay, I would say even better. Brother shared, to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above anything you could think or imagine. We've seen the really bad. We can't even imagine the really good that is contrasted to the really bad that we just looked at. So, no, those awful things can't separate us from God's love, but rather, in all these things, we are able to struggle through we're able to scratch our way to survival? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. The singular Greek word for we are more than conquerors, it's like Paul just had to make up a word. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture, and it's hypermetonym. It's used one time in the Bible, right here, and it means literally to gain or a surpassing victory. To gain a surpassing victory. The Net Bible, which I love, by the way, NET, New English Translation. The Net Bible has a note on the translation of this word. And it says that it can be translated as to prevail completely, or to put it more fully, we are winning a most glorious victory. We are winning a most glorious victory. So can all these things separate us from the love of Christ? No. The logical contrastive is that these things lead us into a most glorious victory, not a most discouraging defeat. I know that sounds great, but what does it mean? It means that the harder things are, the worse they seem, the more glorious and empowering is the presence of the love of Jesus in our life the more precious that love becomes. The greater our victory over these things is and will be because of that love. Easy example here. I like water. I like a good drink of water. I'll sip on water all day long. And I go to the bathroom about 38 times through the day too. But I drink a lot of water. I like water. I'm sitting at my desk at work. I'm drinking some water. That water is good. But man, when it's hot, and I've been out in the heat all day long and I'm feeling parched and dry, how much better is that just common drink of water? It takes on a whole other level. It's still just a little cup of water, but man, when I'm parched and thirsty and I need it, that water is more glorious than I've ever seen it be before. Give me that water! It's just water. No. When I need it that bad, it takes on something bigger, greater, more glorious than just a cup of water. Are you tracking with me? Jesus' love is always good. His love is always empowering. But when the stuff hits the fan, and I'm feeling desperate, His love is all the more glorious, all the more refreshing, all the more empowering. So when life gets hard, when things are wearing me out, and I turn to or see the love of Jesus in those moments, he is all the more precious to me. So the more I need, the more I get. And the more I get, the greater the victory that I win. 
So when I am at the bottom, knowing the love of Jesus leads me to a more glorious victory than I would have realized had I not known the trial or hardship. I don't just eat through, I don't just shut my eyes and hope for the best, but if I truly understand the love of Jesus in all of these things, I am a hyper conqueror. I said hyper and some of y'all got nervous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am a hyper conqueror. A super conqueror. A conqueror whose conquering is only magnified by the degree of difficulty. Carrie Strug? If the other girl hadn't fallen twice, and she hadn't fallen once herself, and her ankle wasn't hurt, and she hadn't landed on one foot, but just got the score she needed to get her team to go without all the drama, I promise you we would not have watched that video this morning. <laughs> I just said, 96, women's one goal. You're like, oh my. Her moment wouldn't have been so glorious without all the hardship, without all the adversity. It would be good. It, it would have been great. But the added difficulty made it hyper great, greater than it would have been otherwise. Now listen, God could deliver us to heaven with no troubles, no pain, no suffering. He could. But, in the midst of the suffering and trouble, in the midst of the hardships, our victory in and through the love of Jesus is most glorious, most wonderful for Him and for us. And we can cling to that victory and that glory in the worst trials and problems. It's more glorious to us than it would have been without the problems. Now I know some of you may be thinking, I would gladly take the victory without all the glory. What I'm in the midst of right now is just too hard. I would rather do without it. But remember, God, who sovereignly chose you and set his love on you in eternity past, is causing all things to work together for your good. He has a purpose in all of this that is better for you than an easy-peasy, no-problems existence. And just to be clear, the end of the verse says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Our victory, our conquering is through Jesus. It is His power, His conquering, that is working in and through us in all these things. That in itself is glorious enough to rejoice in. I can operate in all these things through Jesus. And we have to learn to live that way. Familiar with this verse, I'm sure. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not just for Tim Tebow, by the way. But he can I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can I do all things? Through him who strengthens me. I know that's quoted and thrown away pretty loosely, but listen to it again in a little bigger context. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Listen, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says he's learned how to have plenty, how to be in want. He's learned to be content when he's brought low, when he's hungry, when he's in need. He can do it all through Jesus who strengthens him. So even as a sheep being led to slaughter, we are winning a most glorious victory through the strength provided by the all-powerful king of the universe. That's not a fairy tale. That's not pie in the sky by and by. That's in the grit and the grime of everyday life. In the midst of you choosing willfully to sin, in the midst of other people persecuting you, in the midst of famine and nakedness and peril and sword, this ain't for heaven, this is for now. It's true. Right now, for every follower of Jesus Christ, in the midst of the very worst circumstances you could possibly have. You know that. Are you sure of it? Paul was. We'll finish verses 38 and 39. Start out as, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in case you're wondering if there's a loophole in all this, if there might be something that possibly might be able to actually separate us from Christ's love, take a look at this list. Death. Life. Angels. Rulers. Things present. Things to come. Powers. Height. Depth. Nor anything else in all creation. <coughs> pretty much covers it, right? Amen. I could spend some time going over this list, but really do we need to? The point is, Paul is sure. Paul is sure. And can you put your name in the blank there in place of Paul? Jason is sure that there is nothing anywhere in all of creation that can possibly separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing. Nowhere. Never. It is set in the heavenlies that once God set his love on you, once you are in Christ, once you are loved by him, you always are and you always will be. No questions asked. No exceptions to the rule. So when the hardships hit, when you fear that you might fall away, when you wonder if you can hold on, if you can be faithful, you can look to His love for you and rest in its surety, its steadfastness. His love, His ability to keep you, His plan, His glory. And rejoice. Dance in the fiery furnace as He stands there with you. I love that Paul starts verse 38 with our favorite word, which is what? Come out of verse 37, where we saw that we are more than conquerors, then it says for, not for. We are more than conquerors, for I am sure. For I am sure that nothing in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We conquer gloriously, for we are sure that He will never be separated from us. We will never be separated from His love. In the calm, He loves us. In the storm, He loves us. In our obedience, He loves us. In our disobedience, He loves us. In the midst of the furnace, He loves us. If we live, He loves us. If we die, He loves us. He loves us. And that love makes us indestructible. That love, Christ's love, makes us unconquerable. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So now what? Life's going to happen right outside of these doors. Life's going to happen back there in the lunchroom. Life's going to happen when your kids are going to be murders in the line waiting to get food. Life's going to happen as you're saying, how long is this going to last? You don't have food right now. First, we prepare ourselves knowing that we will surely suffer. We arm ourselves with the truth that all hell will come against us in an effort to make us doubt these truths. We referred earlier to Peter's first letter. And it would be wise to go back there. 1 Peter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. Thinking about preparation for suffering because we know it's coming. Peter says this to Christians, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What do we do? What in the world? Ah, poor me. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time, oh God, for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's coming out pretty strong. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So prepare yourself knowing that suffering is coming. That was point one. And the end of this verse leads us into verse 2. Or application point 2. Know that trials and sufferings are coming. And in the midst of them, trust God. Entrust yourself to God. Now that seems simple enough, but really, how easily do we jump ship on this? Jesus said the night that he was going to be crucified, 
all of you will fall away on account of me tonight. Peter's like, Pshaw. I'll go all the way for you. Hey, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? Uh, don't know the guy. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. I saw you. I tell you, I don't know him. No, 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 no. I know. You are. You were with us. Blankety, blankety, blank, blank, blank. No, I don't know the man. And boy, it's easy to throw the finger at Peter and say, oh. But I'm telling you, the second things get hard, I don't know the guy. We jump ship real quick. We fall apart sometimes over simple stuff, much less the big things that come against us. We despair when things get tough, but we don't have to. We actually can know that the glory of God is burning brighter in our lives in those times than when it's easy. Peter just told us that those who suffer according to God's will are to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I mentioned the fiery furnace earlier. And in that account, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shake the bed, shake the bed, the bed we go. These guys look at the king who is asking them to bow down to a statue. Listen to their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set. Their answer is exactly what ours should be when the fiery furnace is coming for us. When we're in a trial, when we're suffering, God is able to deliver me from the danger here, but even if he doesn't, I trust him. That's what it means to entrust yourself to God in the face of, in the midst of, in spite of whatever may be happening around you. Whatever may be happening around you. Trust God. Entrust yourself to God. God is able to grant that I keep my job. But if he doesn't, I'll trust him. I'll entrust myself to him. God is able to supply my next meal. But if he doesn't, I'll entrust myself to him. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. God can do whatever he wants to do. Psalm 115.3. I'm going to tie three verses together. I want you to catch them in a bucket here together. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 18.30. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Our God is in the heavens. He does what He pleases. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for those who take refuge in Him. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He does what he pleases. His way is perfect. And he's causing all things to work together for you. 
Can you entrust yourself to a God like that? Do it. Entrust yourself to Him now and forever. That was point two. First point was know that sufferings and trials are coming. Second point was entrust yourself to God in the midst of them. And finally, listen church, third application point. When? W-I-N. I'm not asking the question. The third application point is when? Go out and win. Go out and live victoriously and gloriously in the midst of your trial. Go out and be what God just told us that we were, which is more than conquerors. Win a most glorious victory in the midst of the fiery furnace. Does that mean avoid the fiery furnace? No. Does that mean run from the trouble, duck and cover, get out of there as soon as you can? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are winning a most glorious victory in the furnace. Don't run from the furnace. Don't run from the relationship. Don't run from the church. Don't run from the job. Dance in it. Win big in it. Entrust yourself to God and watch what God can do through you in the midst of it. Something has happened since 1776 that has developed a mindset in Americans that everything's supposed to be easy. That everything's just supposed to be handed to us because we're America. Go to the ballot box in November and tell me if that's what's going on in America today. Well, poor us, we don't have a choice. We don't even know who to vote for. So you're not going to win? I don't want to get Trumpish, but we're going to win. <laughs> we're going to win big. You're going to get so sick of winning, you don't want to win anymore. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's going to be huge. <laughs> I hope to God in 20 years that that means nothing to someone. What's Trump? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm no Hillary Clinton supporter. And I'm not telling you to vote for Third application point is win, church. Win big. Win gloriously. Win while the world looks at you and thinks that you're losing. Win, knowing that the end brings certain victory for you, glorious victory. But even more than that, win, knowing that in all of these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. When? Knowing that the hardest heart cannot separate you from God's love. It cannot. <laughs> Jesus is too strong to lose. And it is His strength that gives us the victory. Oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go in every high and every low. Oh no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. I may have fallen for the moment. I may have one good leg 
But glory for me is assured. For Carrie Strug, her coach Bella Caroli stood there and said, You can do this. You can do this. For us, our king stands there and says, I can do this. I will keep you. I will sustain you. Your glory is sure. Live in it. Revel in it. Win a most glorious victory in the midst of it. Overwhelmingly conquer in the midst of it. And you know, I, I feel it. I feel that I am. You don't know what I wake up to. Yeah, do If you're a Christian, you wake up to the steadfast love of God in your life every morning. If you're a believer, you wake up to the steadfast love of Jesus Christ in your heart, ready to be poured out, shaken together, pressed down, running over, into you and after you every morning. You want to point to your troubles? Go ahead. That's fine. That's good. And know that in the midst of them, the steadfast love of God endures forever in me and through me. Point to your troubles and then look at Jesus and say, you're going to read this. That's big. Let's get veggie tails ish for me. He's big. God's bigger. <laughs> Guys, we can't lose. We can't lose. But. She fell twice on the vault before me. I fell on my first one. My legs hurt. What am I going to do? the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that is already ours, and will always be ours. Nothing can separate us. We are more than conquerors, now and forever. You may land on one foot, but man, it's going to be glorious. It may look impossible, but no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We can God, what if we believe this? What if we believe this, God? Our troubles would not go away, but your glory would be magnified in the midst of. So I ask you, God, that you would help us to see our troubles clearly. That you would help us to see that we are a sheep being led to the slaughter every day. And I pray that we would glory in that. And we would rejoice in your ability 
to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could think or ask in the midst of this slaughter. So that's exactly what you did at the cross. Senseless murder of an innocent man served to bring many sons to glory. Who did not revile when he was reviled, but kept entrusting himself to the Oh God, may that be our story. And may we read the end and know, yes, we win. But God, may we look in the present, where we are in the narrative right now, and know that right now, I win. I overwhelmingly conquer. Through him we look. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, I was.